Temptations come in many forms. Temptations come in many forms. If you've been around the church for a while, if you've been a Christian, you've heard the word temptations. Uh, You have probably engaged with the devil tempting you in any number of ways to veer off the path that God has set for you. When you think about what a temptation is in its simplest form, a temptation is the idea that God has this narrow path. In fact, that's very biblical. He's got a narrow path for you to walk on. And along the way, as you're walking that narrow path, you look to your left and the right, and there's all sorts of ideas, ideologies, places, people, events, things to participate in, ways to go with your life that are deceptively good. What I mean by that is they, 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 they look good on the outside. They look sometimes even like they're covered in biblical godly language. But in reality, they're from the devil. And our aim is to stay on that narrow path and not be deceived by the temptations that are out there. Many Christians today are blind to the fact that temptations are real. They're blind to the reality that temptations are going to come across every single Christian, no matter how old or young you are, no matter whether you're male or female, we will all face temptations. That's a promise from scripture. You only have to read the history of the church and read a little bit about the saints that have gone before us to know that every faithful Christian has been tempted seriously has been tempted in ways that have stretched them beyond what they thought they were capable of. That's the history of the church, it's the promise of scripture, and yet many Christians never really think about this. They go through all their days, they go through their weeks as if the devil's not tempting me to do anything. He's not around me, he's not bothering me. That's a problem, because that's not the biblical worldview. Have you been overwhelmed by temptations? Have you experienced temptations? Do you know the ways that particularly the devil tempts you? And do you know how to combat it so that you will not fall to those temptations? If you're a Christian, that's your aim because you want to honor Christ. You want to be obedient to his law. We're continuing through our gospel, our sermon series through the gospel of Luke. And uh, let me remind you where we are. We're going verse by verse through Luke. So far, Luke, uh, Jesus has been born. <laughs> we got one encounter of him at the age of 12. And, uh, and then we had his very first uh, kind of coming onto the scene of Israel, which was where he was baptized by John the Baptist. That's all that's happened in Jesus' life and ministry so far. There was one account at 12 years old in the temple, but he's been baptized by John the Baptist, at which point the, the Holy Spirit descended on him in the form of a dove, and you, the voice of the Father came down over Jesus and said, Behold my Son in whom I am well pleased. And the very next thing that happens to Jesus after that moment, that first moment, his kind of inaugural moment into ministry, is he's sent by the Father into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. It's an interesting thing to consider. Before he does anything else, before his ministry explodes, before Jesus becomes the man who would die on the cross, right? Before his ministry explodes to the degree that he would eventually be, uh, you know, crucified, He gets led by the Father into the desert to be tempted. Let's read the entire account. Luke chapter 4, starting in verse 1. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days. And when they were ended, he was hungry. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. Jesus answered him, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone. So the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. He said to him, to you I will give all this authority and their glory, for it's been delivered to me, and I give it to whom I will. 
If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. Jesus answered him, it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. And the devil took him to Jerusalem, set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you. And on their hands, they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him, it is said, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. The word of the Lord. I want to show you three kind of concepts from this passage. First, the concept is the nature of temptation. What is the nature of temptation? Well, let's first get a sense for this passage. You know, when I, whenever I think of Jesus as being tempted in the wilderness, I've always thought of it as a defensive moment in the life of Jesus. What I mean by that is I've always had this concept of Jesus out in the wilderness fasting, being alone with God, and while he's fasting, being alone with God, the devil happens to come up to him and kind of start wailing on him, and Jesus demonstrates this defensive posture and gives us a a demonstration of how you defend yourself against temptation. It's a defensive story. But as I read and studied this passage this week, what I learned is that's the farthest thing from the truth. This is an offensive mission by Jesus. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. What's the wilderness? In the Old Testament days, the wilderness is a unique place. The the Jews wander around the wilderness for 40 years, hence Jesus is fasting for 40 days here. That's at least one reason for it. But the wilderness in the Old Testament days was known as the place where demons lived. It was the place where the demons were. During one of the major sacrifices, the, one, of the, one of the goats was sent off into Azazel, into the wilderness, into the desert. It was the place where it was essentially given over to the demons as it carried the sins of the world into the broken places of the world. Jesus is led, right after being declared the Son of God in a public way, he's led by the Father, led by the Spirit, into the place where the demons are. Why would the Father do that? Well, because this is the beginning of his ministry, and Jesus was making a proclamation. Jesus went to war with the devil. That's what this story is about. Jesus marched into enemy territory, stuck his flag down, declared victory, and won. That's this passage. It's a story of war. Second, Jesus fasted for 40 days, and the whole time he was being tempted. I always thought about this passage also, another you know, misunderstanding on my part, as if Jesus fasted for 40 days, and then at the very end, then he was tempted in these three big ways. That is true. At the very end, he was tempted in the three big ways. But for 40 days, he was being tempted by the devil. 40 days of temptation. I want you to think about this for a while. How long the last time you were tempted, you lasted before you gave in to your temptation? Jesus won. He went the full distance, never giving in to temptation in even the slightest. He went the full 40 days of an onslaught of the devil. Jesus shows up in enemy territory. The devil doesn't, the devil's, oh no, he's here. He starts wailing on Jesus with everything he has for 40 days, saving his greatest efforts, his greatest attacks for the final moment when he's at his very weakest. Jesus withstands all of it because he's our victor, because he's our champion. He's gone before us. 
Notice also that the devil doesn't play fair, does he? The devil waits till Jesus, for his big three attacks, the devil waits till he's fasted for 40 days. Now, I've never fasted for 40 days, but I have a friend who's fasted for 40 days, Alex Costa, a guy who discipled me. And I remember seeing Alex, I didn't know he had been fasting, and when I saw him, he was very, very, very skinny. And I, <laughs> I, I didn't wanna say anything, I thought he looked quite unhealthy. And then at the very end, I was like, you know, Alex, you lost a little weight. He said, well, I've been fasting for 40 days. Those who fast for 40 days, now Alex was subsidizing his fast with some nutrients and vitamins, some kind of modern day ways to make sure that he didn't die while he was fasting. Jesus looked like a Holocaust victim at this point. So you've seen the pictures. Jesus was skin and bones and his life was hanging on to him by a thread. That's where his body was at. Your mind starts to play tricks on you physically after fasting for a certain amount of time. Headaches set in, your body is not processing correctly, your systems begin to shut down. It was at that moment that the devil comes in and unleashes his three greatest attacks. He'll save his worst attack for the very end, right before the crucifixion. The devil doesn't play fair. He's a callous exploiter of human frailty. He will look for your weakest moments, he will look for your lowest moments, and he will capitalize on them, which is why the Christian must always have their guard up. Now, as we look at these three temptations, I wanna first define temptation for us in a few ways. William Gurnall wrote a wonderful book called The Christian in Full Armor. He was a Puritan, it's a a thousand page book, and it's worth at least browsing through it sometime if you wanna learn more about spiritual warfare. He writes this, Faith teaches the Christian to distinguish and to discern and distinguish those fireballs of temptations which are thrown in at his window by Satan from those sparks of corruption which fly from his own hearth and take fire at his own sinful heart. Let me uh, interpret that for you. Faith teaches us that temptation comes from two different places and Jesus only ever experienced one of them. Temptation can come, one, from from the hearth of your own heart our fallen, sinful, corrupt nature. Jesus didn't have that. He never experienced temptation of the heart. He never desired ungodly things within his own heart. Nothing, no lust ever went through his mind in even the slightest degree for, because lust is sin. So Jesus' own teaching, Matthew chapter five. It never even crossed it. He was only thinking God's design all the time at all times to the best degree that a human is able to do in the perfect way a human could do it. Temptation also comes from without. It comes from outside of you, external temptation. is when others or the devil or demons place ungodly desires before you in an attempt to lure you away from God's path. So there's external temptation and internal temptation. This is a story of external temptation. However, as we process it as Christians, we're gonna process it through our own lens as well, knowing that many of our temptations also arise from within, even though that's not something Jesus had the problem with. Third, what we see in here, look at the first thing the devil says to Jesus. In verse three, the devil says to him, if you are the son of God, command this stone to become bread. Now, why is that the first of his major attacks? Well, go back to the very last thing that just happened. Luke chapter three, verses 21. Now, when all the people were baptized, and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heavens were opened, the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. A voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son. 
With you I am well pleased. The father looks down on the son, declares him righteous, declares him his son, says, I am pleased with you. The devil, the very next thing we see is the devil steps in and says, no, you're not. Let me prove it to you. Let me change your identity. See, isn't this what the devil does to us? Isn't that the devil's primary attack on us as Christians? To get you to think that you're not something that you are. To try to force a wedge inside of your soul that if he can just, just force himself in there just a little bit to start to doubt the gospel, start to doubt the stories, start to doubt that Jesus is really as good as he says he is, start to doubt that he's really gonna send angels to your safety. If he can just get a wedge in there, then he's starting to make some impact. Jesus didn't even give him, the, he, he didn't even give him that wedge, but we fail. We give that wedge. Now, Let's look at these three temptations. Again, we're talking about the nature of temptation. What's the nature of temptation? First temptation is the lust of the flesh, the lust of the flesh. The devil looks at Jesus. He's fasting for 40 days. He's skin and bones. He says, hey, see that rock over there? That would look really good if it was a loaf of sourdough bread with some butter on it, wouldn't it? Right, right Jesus? You can do that. Go ahead. Turn it into a loaf of bread. Now, because I'm sinful... I, I would have really mulled that over for a while. <laughs> I would have thought about it. I really like sourdough bread, right? I would, I would have heard the temptation, and maybe on a good day, I would have said no. But on most days, I at least would have thought about it. <laughs> you know, let me think about it. Let me entertain it for a bit. Hopefully, at the end of my thinking about it, I'll turn this one down. The devil's schemes have not changed all that much. He will often tempt us with invitations to satisfy our flesh. That's what this is. It's an attack on his flesh. Your body is telling you it's hungry, so eat. That wasn't God's design, though. He hadn't finished his full 40 days yet. The time wasn't over. That would be to, de to, ne to deny the Father's will. The devil oftentimes exploits what feel like natural desires. We have fleshly desires. We have internal temptations. We not only hunger for food and water, but we have appetites and lusts that are part of our nature, part of our fallen nature, that come up outside of us, and the devil plays on them and says, just feed that appetite. Just feed it. Matthew chapter 15, verse 19, out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, and slander. The devil masterfully knows your algorithm. He's like a, the perfect social media tycoon. He knows exactly what sets you apart, exactly the play to get to play on your particular fleshly fallen ways. And he plays right to you. He, often oftentimes, he always offers you momentary gratification in place of eternal satisfaction. Only a fool would take that bargain. Only a fool. That's what temptation is. It makes you act like a fool. Second temptation lust of the eyes. The devil shows this visionary moment. I don't know exactly how it happened, but he shows him all the kingdoms of the world. He says this, this, this thing. He says, all the kingdoms have been given to me, and I give them to whoever I want. I will make you the ruler of all the nations, if only you'll worship me. Now, the devil tempts us in the exact same way. This is the lust of the eyes. What's happening here is he's putting something in front of Jesus and showing him what could be his. Now, the irony here, of course, is that the Great Commission that I say to this church at the end of every service begins with, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Who's got all authority? 
Jesus has all authority. He's got all authority. Now, before the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, the devil had a certain authority over things. He had an authority to blind the nations from knowing the one true and living God. But at the death and resurrection of Jesus, the devil's authority was broken. Jesus claimed all authority. And now, as we speak, the nations who were once only fallen into paganness are now coming to know Jesus as Lord and Savior, the one true and living God. All across the Middle East, Muslims coming to faith in Jesus. Across Israel, many Jews coming to faith in Jesus. Across South America, across Africa right now, people who are part of pagan religions coming to know Jesus as Lord and Savior. Why? Because Satan's power has been bound. He is the strong man who's been bound, and now his house is being plundered. That's what's taking place as we live right now. Jesus is ruling and reigning. And yet, what's the temptation? Look. He puts something in front of their eyes and says, you could have that. It's exactly what the devil does to us as well. It's the lust of the eyes. I see this in my own life sometimes. I'll, I, I joke about this, but I'll, I'll be in my office and I'll, I'll want to I'll, I'll spend time praying. I want to spend time praying for the church. Something good, right? I want to spend time praying for you guys. This is something a pastor should be doing. And I'll get down to start praying and then I'll look over on my wall and there's my guitar sitting on the wall. And it's just begging to be strummed because I'm working on that new song, right? Something as simple as a guitar. What's the devil trying to do? Get me not to pray for the church. Because if he can get me not to pray for the church, then he can, he can, he can, he can insert a wedge into this church because a pastor's prayers go a long way. But doesn't he do that to all of us? Don't you know what it's like to have a, a, something that's one of your triggers just come up to you right in that moment when you thought you were about to do the right thing? You thought you were about to spend time in the Word, and then all of a sudden, your friend texts you, and they want to, you thought you were about to go, go on a prayer walk, and then all of a sudden, you know what, your, your, your phone buzzes, and a new show is coming on. Isn't that how it always works? The lust of the eyes. And it's not always as simple as something like social media or a guitar. Talk about the lust of the eyes. The, our entire economy is built on the lust of the eyes. That, that's what it's built on. It's, bu- it's built on, look at what you could have. It's all for you. Consume. Forget the ninth commandment. You don't need that one. Don't covet. We forget that one. Don't covet. Be content in the sovereignty of God. He made you. He gave you your story. He gave you your place. He gave you your gifts. He gave you your responsibilities. Enjoy it. And worship God in the midst of it. And yet... We just covet constantly. Why? Because he just, if he can get you to forget the ninth commandment, then he's already gained a foothold in your life. Right? That's disobedience. What's he doing? Trying to make a wedge in your, between your soul and God. The lust of the eyes. Number three, what's the third temptation? The pride of life. Verses nine to 12. The devil takes him to the pinnacle of the temple, which by the way is a tall building. So just in that moment, that, that, that would be a pretty scary thing. Jesus is a human to look down over a ledge like that. But what's he doing? He takes him to the pinnacle of the temple and says, throw yourself off of here. Then he quotes scripture, the devil does, and he says, angels will catch you. Now, what's the, what's the thing with this? The temple's a very crowded place. That's where all the religious leaders are. It's where people are coming to worship God. There's a huge courtyard called the Court of the Gentiles where it's just filled, filled with people. You throw yourself down from there and angels catch you, guess what's gonna happen? you get thrust in the limelight immediately. You you become, you you fast forward the messianic track immediately overnight. 
You, you skip God's process of what the Father was going to do and how he was going to make the Messiah's reign come about, and you suddenly, you, you just barge onto the scene in an entirely miraculous way that was distinct from what God had planned. The pride of life. You could have it all. They'll worship you. The devil tempts us in the exact same way. He'll prey on our inner desire for fame, to be well-known and well-loved. You know, a lot of folks today, it's not even just to be well, it's not even to be famous. Many of us, Many of us, this plays out in our life, just the desire to be liked, to fit in with a few folks that you want to fit in with. It could even happen in this church. You, you want to fit in. You want to be part of the crew. You want, you, you want to be known. You want to be known among others. You want to be known by me, right? And what can happen is the devil can just kind of put these desires and put opportunities and just the, to shortcut things to, and just... And just make you do some foolish things that you wouldn't have done, but you're doing it because you just want, you want to just fit in in this particular way over here. The pride of life. He knows you. He knows how we're wired. He's been playing the same trick since Adam and Eve in the garden. He's got our number. He's got your number. He's got your algorithm. And he is playing us. The pride of life, the lust of the eyes, and the lust of the flesh. These are the three primary categories of temptations. Now, they work in a thousand different ways underneath those categories, but that's what the devil's up to. Now, second, that's the nature of temptation. How about the answer to temptation? What do we do in the midst of temptation? Well, I think we learn a handful of things from this passage. Jesus demonstrates perfectly for us how we ought to respond in the midst of temptation. First of all, every time the devil tempts Jesus, what does Jesus do immediately? He responds with Scripture. He says, it is written. Interestingly, he quotes from Deuteronomy. Now, I wonder if that's because he was reading Deuteronomy that morning, and that was just on the tip of his tongue. However, that was a joke. However, however, what's he doing? He's got scripture on his mind. He's saturated in the word of God. And so when a temptation comes up in front of him, something that would derail his mission of what he had planned, where he was going, what God had called him to, even in the slightest, what does he do? He goes back to the word of God, goes back to the standard and quotes the word of God out loud to the devil. And he shuts it down. He doesn't mull it over in his mind. He doesn't think about it. He doesn't entertain it. He doesn't process it and weigh the, the pros and the cons. Maybe I could do a little bit of this over here and then not, you know, not, not go all the way. And so, no, he, he quotes the word of God. This is the standard I live by. Now, the way that happens is because Jesus was a man who, who was the word of God. But we as Christians, we're not the word of God the way Jesus was the word of God, the second person of the Trinity. But as followers of Jesus, we have the capacity to, to digest the word of God and, and so that it comes out of us. So that very naturally you find yourself in a tempting situation where the devil's getting a hold of you. He's, he's tempting you and you can recognize it and you go back to the exact word of God that you need in that moment because you've been, you've been mulling it over in your mind. Is that who you are? I'm just letting you know, Christian, if you are not digesting the word of God daily, and what I mean by that is not just reading it and ticking off the checklist, your pastor said you're supposed to read the word of God. I mean living on it, chewing on it, waiting on it, meditating on it, thinking about it throughout the day. If that's not what you're doing, then when you come to temptation, you will not have the right defense in place. You will be overwhelmed because you'll end up relying on your muscles or your wit, and both of those are no, no weapon against the devil. He is a far greater enemy than that. He needs the sword of truth. That is our proper defense against the devil. We bring any other weapon, we're toast. 
Jesus defended with the word of God. Now, notice also, the devil twisted scripture, didn't he? Oh, man. The devil quotes scripture to him. He quotes from Psalm 91, and then he quotes from Deuteronomy 6.16 during his third attack. You can just see him with this. It's his third attack. And now he's, he, he, he busts out two different passages. Now he's, he's, he's scaffolding his scriptural references to make a stronger argument. Church, the scriptures can be easily twisted and manipulated to say something that they do not say. And that is taking place in many pulpits around this city today. You as a follower of Jesus have the Holy Spirit given within you. And your job is not just to trust what I tell you. I can tell you that I labor over the word of God. I study. I, I, try to absor- I, try, I always try to live out what I'm giving to you. I, I, I always do everything I can by the power of the spirit to live what I'm giving to you. And yet I don't have the final say. It is God the Father working through the Holy Spirit, bearing witness to the testimony of his word in your hearts that verifies what his true preacher says. We have to know the word of God because it is so easily twisted. Many places and many people you love and know are utilizing scripture in a way that just twists it and morphs it to say something it does not say. We cannot bend scripture. Otherwise, we're playing to the devil's hand. That is his game and is not ours. We go by what the word says. We stand strong on it. We stand faithful to it. Now, how can you be prepared for this? Are you in the word daily? Are you reflecting on the word? Are you meditating on it? Do you delight in the word? Psalm 119. I love Psalm 119. It's the longest psalm in the Old Testament. I memorized a good portion of it. But over and over, the the psalmist just, he's going back to the word of God. I've stored up your, this is Psalm 119.11. I've stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Just before that, it says, how shall a young man keep his way pure? Good question. By guarding it according to your word. The Christian is the person who is looking at the word of God, knowing the way the enemy is going to attack them. Don't be caught off guard. It's going to happen. He's going to tempt you. And you've got a a human heart that's prone to make all kinds of mistakes. And then it stores the word of God in its heart because it loves Jesus and the blood that was shed for him. And it wants to honor the king and is prepared with the word of God. Now, secondly, our true hope is only in Christ who won the battle where we all failed. This passage is fascinating. So first of all, Jesus uses scripture to defend. But secondly, for us, our hope is not only in using scripture, but our hope is in Christ who is the ultimate victor over this. So go back. If we compare this story, and if you're in small groups who are using the video material in your small groups, you saw this this week. This temptation scene is almost scene for scene the exact same temptation scene of Adam and Eve in the garden. Adam and Eve in the garden. The devil comes to them, tempts them to to break God's command, and then what does it say in Genesis chapter three, verse six? When the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Three things in there that we see. Number one, it was good for food, the lust of the flesh. It was a delight to the eyes, the lust of the eyes. And she could gain wisdom from it, the pride of life. It's the same three temptations. Now what's happening in our scene? That's not accidental. The devil's doing the same three temptations he did to Adam and Eve. Jesus is stepping right into the exact same place where Adam failed, one-on-one, mano-e-mano with the devil. 
And everywhere where Adam failed, Jesus proves victorious. Now, what does that mean for us? Every single person ever born is either in Christ or in Adam. When you're born, you're naturally in Adam. You're born out of his progeny, out of his lineage. But when you place your faith in Jesus, you become a new person. You're born again. And what that means is, is that Jesus, rather than being represented by Adam, who failed at the task, you're represented by Jesus, who succeeded at the task. And he gained the opportunity to become your victor and represent you before the Father. And what that means is that when God looks down at you, he doesn't see you defended by Adam, who was sinful. He sees you defended by Jesus. Now, this is really important for us. He sees you covered in Christ. We will fail at this. I want you to hear me. I'm, gonna about, I'm about to give you a charge in a moment to, to help you not fail, to help you gain, gain mastery over temptation in your life. But we will fail along the way. No one will do this perfectly like Jesus. But along the way when you fail, what the devil is gonna do is he's gonna, he's gonna pr- crowd on top of you, lie after lie saying, if you really are a son of God, you wouldn't have failed. If you really are a daughter of the king, you wouldn't be falling to that temptation again. And that's when you go back to the word of God, the word of God. And you declare very clearly, you say, no, 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 no. I've placed my faith in Jesus Christ. And I proclaim it out loud. And I am in him. And he is my victor, not me. If we rely on our own strength, we've got nothing. If we rely on the strength of Jesus to be our defender and to be our salvation, then we have everything. I love how this is, oh, I cut that quote. I don't have it anymore. But <laughs> we, if we rely on our own strength, we are going to fail over and over again. And then when we fail, we will get frustrated with ourselves. We've got to keep going back to Jesus, who is our victor. Some will be blinded by this and not wrestling, not realize who they're wrestling with. You know, some in this room right now are listening to this and they're thinking, okay, there's this war taking place for our souls. And I'm in it. But you're actually not in it. You enter into the war once you put your faith in Jesus Christ. Until you do that, you're only blinded by the devil. He's not at war with you. You're just blinded by him. He owns you. And if you've never repented and trusted in Jesus Christ, you're not at war with the devil. You're actually at war with God. But Jesus offers a way out of that. You put your faith in him. You trust him. He is your parachute out of condemnation. You believe in Jesus, your Lord and Savior. And then you get, declared a, you get declared a son of the living God, a son of the living king. And now, now the devil wants to do something to you. But you have a victor in Christ who will defend you all the way. You don't want to be at war with God. You want to be at war with the devil because you have a defender in Christ who will protect you. To the Christian in temptation, remember this. The same Holy Spirit that led Jesus into the wilderness led him out as well. If you're in temptation right now and you're experiencing bouts of temptation, you cling to Christ. You claim the promises of Christ. Christ will see you through it. Now, I want to give you some kind of words here to encourage you. We're at war. Jesus stepped into enemy territory and went to war. And the devil wants to take you down in that war as well. You need to wake up, Christian. If you don't realize you're at war, you are going to be taken down by every little false ideology that comes at us. We are living in the days of Isaiah 5, the nation that called good evil and evil they called good. It's happening in front of our eyes right now. And, and we need to take charge and pick up our battle command and go to war the way Jesus did. Not in the exact same way because he was the Christ, but trusting in him. So I have six pieces of advice for us. I'm going to go through these fairly quickly. Number one, take courage and fight boldly. 
take courage and fight boldly. Jesus waged war against the devil. More often than not, most of us are gonna wage war against lower level demons. Insight into spiritual warfare. There's only one devil. He's only at one place at one time. He's got other guys that work for him. Most of us are not getting the devil's attention. He's off with some bigger fish to fry. I have a sense of where he's at right now and what he's doing on the world scene, okay? Most of us are with the lower level guys. Jesus wrestled with the devil, the devil. We will have satanic influence over us, tempting us, but we need to take courage. We need to fight. We're at war and your soul is wanted. He wants to get your eyes off the ball. He wants to get you to stop praying. He wants to get you to not go to church. He wants to get you to sleep in. He wants to get you to skip your time in the word. We need to buckle up and take courage in Christ. We cannot have a one foot in, one foot out Christianity. You're gonna get owned by the devil if that's the case. If this is your plan, you're done. You are done. The devil's far too strong. His low level demons are too strong for that. Take courage and fight boldly. William Gurnally says it this way. Say not thou hast royal blood running in thy veins and art begotten of God, except thou can prove thy pedigree by this heroic spirit to dare to be holy in spite of men and devils. Huh. You want to call yourself a follower of Jesus? You have holy blood in your veins. Prove it. Go to war. Do not fall to temptation over and over again. You were born again with a price, and the price tag had something that comes with it, the ability to overcome sin and temptation. Don't just fall to it over and over again. Have a plan and go to war. Take courage. Number two, refuse to grumble. Do not grumble. You don't see Jesus grumbling in this. That's one thing he doesn't do. He goes to war and he wins, but he doesn't grumble. Oh, how he liked to grumble. We complain about everything. We complain about it all. There's always something more to complain about and our complaints lead to sin. We complain, we complain, and then we just get into a bad attitude and then we're just distracted and we're in all types of sin. Refuse to grumble. Life is hard, we have sinful flesh and the devil's attacking us at every corner. Don't grumble about it. Go to war. Hebrews chapter 12 verse three. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you might not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your own blood. What's the writer of Hebrews saying to his readers? Don't complain. You haven't yet done what Jesus had to do. It's a battle. If you didn't know that's what you were signing up for, now you know. You signed up for a battle. Don't complain. Number three, know your enemy. The number one rule of any warfare is to know your enemy, to know his plans, to know his strategies. Jesus was not caught off guard by the devil's attacks. He knew what was gonna happen because he saw it written in Genesis, what happened to Adam and Eve, and the same three things that happened to them happened to him. We shouldn't be caught off guard either. Know your enemy. He's got specific attacks aimed at you. Do you know the way he aims his temptations at you? If not, figure him out quickly. If you don't know, you have not been paying attention. You haven't been paying attention. You can do this exercise tonight. Go home, Lord, where have I been tempted in the last week? What were the circumstances that led to me being tempted? Maybe it's when you drink alcohol. And the Lord knows when you drink alcohol, you make some bad decisions real quick and you start thinking things that you shouldn't be thinking. If you're a Christian, get the alcohol out of your house. Let me remind you of Matthew chapter five, verse 30. If your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. 
for it's better than you, for, that you lose one of your members than that your whole body goes into hell. Is, is it your computer that's causing you to sin? Don't have it in your house. Get it out. See, again, I, I, what I'm trying to do is raise the seriousness of this. Jesus went to war and won, and he's equipped you to do the same. What are the devil's strategies? Let me give you three of them. He's going to attack you when you're weak and tired and lonely and upset. Why? That's what he did to Jesus. He's not fair. He doesn't, even, he doesn't play fair. He doesn't wait till you just got out of the gym and you're ready. You just had two hours in the Word and everything's ready to go. No. He waits till you fasted for 40 days, your skin and bones, and then he tries to kick you. He's not going to play fair. So look for it in those moments. If you're sick, if you're tired, if you're lonely, be ready. He's coming. Number two, he, he, he attacks you when you've had some, some season of ministry success. The same way he did for Ezra and Nehemiah when they were building the wall. And then, and then the devil came in and stirred up the surrounding nations to, 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 to wage war against them. They're having ministry success. He, he, he raises up. You're doing something good for the Lord? Get ready. Get ready. Number three, when you develop habits of sin in your life, you've got unchecked sin, he's coming. You've got unchecked sin that you haven't been paying attention to, inroad. He's already in. You, you don't even realize it. He's already in. You need to repent, you need to cut it out, you need to get right with the Lord and cast him out because he's gonna dig that wedge in even further. Number four, number four. Number three was know your enemy. Number four, be watchful. Be watchful. We don't know the exact ways that the devil is going to tempt every one of us, but we certainly know he is. And so if we're warriors in in the Lord's army, if you were in a jungle in Vietnam, and you were sleeping in the middle of a jungle, you'd have your eyes to the jungle all the time. And if you had to sleep, you'd have someone else awake to be looking at the jungle, making sure that no one was coming. Well, we have a roaring lion who's prowling, looking for those he can deceive. You better have your eyes to the jungle, because he's coming. And if our eyes aren't awake, he's going to be at our doorstep, and we won't even know it. Be sober-minded, said 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Have your eyes at the trees at all times. This might sound like an overwhelming task, but till the day you die, you need your eyes on the trees. He will not let up. He will not let down. He, he, will, he will keep coming at you. He wants, he wants to divide you from the Father. Don't let him in. Number five, take no prisoners. <laughs> this is war language. Take no prisoners. What do I mean by that? We're at war. Do not buy a little of the devil's heresy in order to tame him. Don't buy a little of what the world has to offer in order to blend in just a little bit more. Take no prisoners. That's not the game we play. He's out to kill. You need to be out to live for Christ. And if your plan is to live for Christ 80% and then 20%, you know, just borrow a little bit from the world. I get it. It's heresy. I get it. It's bad ideology. I get it. It's false philosophy. I get it. It's a little bit of Eastern religion, but it kind of fits into what I'm doing as well. You're taking prisoners into, the, into your camp they are going to wage war on you from the inside out. Take no prisoners into your home. We stand firm on the word of God. 
We have one idea, and it's to honor Jesus, our King. He is worthy of all glory and fame and honor. He is our King. He went to the cross for us. Don't take any prisoners into your home with you. Lastly, your battle cry is and ever will be, here go I, but by the blood of the Lamb. That is your march. That is your marching cry. That is your, that's your marching order. Again, John Owen, in a book, wonderful book, written, Overcoming Sin and Temptation is the name of the book. He says, mortification, that's a technical term for killing sin. Killing sin from a self-strength carried on by ways of self-invention unto the end of a self-righteousness is the soul and substance of all false religion in the world. You want to be a better person? It doesn't come from here. It does not come from you just mustering the way to do it. You want to overcome sin? It does not come from this. Here go I, but by the blood of Jesus. That's my cry. I go forward, but by the blood of Christ. I march and will have victory by the blood of Jesus. That's my one thing I know. I will fail every other thing in my life, but if I got that going for me, I got a lot going for me. And so I'm marching straight forward in the name of Christ, and I'm letting anyone who's coming along with me follow. That's your call. That's where you're headed. We fight against an enemy who wants to take us down. Jesus won the battle, and he's made it possible for you to win the battle too. Have your eyes away, Christian. The devil's out there, but your victor is stronger. Amen? Will you stand with me? Heavenly Father, I pray in Jesus' name right now that we would have eyes to see what you're up to. God, that we would be bold and courageous in our faith. That we would not be cowards who slink away from the responsibilities you've given us as followers of Jesus. I pray for man, woman, and child alike to know what it means to follow Jesus. To be strong. Filled with the, with the power of the Holy Spirit. The same power that rested on Christ, that rose him from the grave, is at work in us who believe. God, I pray that we would own that, that we would not be easily overwhelmed by temptations. I pray in this, in this room even right now that there would be an awakening to the falling to temptation that's been taking place and that there would be an end of it in Jesus' name. I pray for temptations that have been lingering and haunting people for many days, many years, maybe even coming in here just frustrated by overwhelming temptation in their life. I pray right now that there would be a breaking of that temptation. And God, I pray that there would be an, a, an obedience to Christ for the glory of Christ, a humbling of, of people before the throne of grace. God, have your way with us. In Jesus' name.